Thank you, worship team, and what an incredible Sunday to be at Auburn Community Church. I love Baby Dedication Sunday, and I'm looking forward to the day where every single Sunday is a Baby Dedication Sunday at ACC, and we're not that far off. Um, it's crazy because last Sunday, how many of you were here for the ACC Kids Christmas play? Anybody in the room? This was amazing. I think it was cool for a lot of families in our church to look around and go, where did all these kids come from? This is something that's kind of happened undercover at ACC for, I would say, over the course of the past year, but you're just going to be seeing more of that. The short answer to that question, I think, is Bible drill. Like, follow the logic. We got people meeting, dating, both chasing after Jesus with their lives. Fastest way to find a spouse who's set on Jesus is to chase Jesus yourself, and you kind of meet there, and, and that's what's happening at ACC, but then you get these Christian couples that are dating, and, and they're really young, and people ask me, like, why do Christians get married so young? I'm like, have you read the rules? <laughs> um, that's, and then we got families. So, it's just going to happen in increasing measure more and more. We're just trying to be godly here, guys, and, 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 and it's amazing to be a part of. If you're new here, my name is Miles Fidel. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm just freaking out excited this Christmas season at all God is doing around our community and our faith family, and you picked a special Sunday to be here. For some of you, you're here because somebody you know graduated from college yesterday, Shout out to all of our graduates. Congratulations. Congratulations. We're excited for you guys, and uh, this is an exciting season. We started a series called King of Kings last week where we're talking about the kingdom of God and how it works counterintuitive, backward to everything we think naturally. In the kingdom of God, we don't pursue God based on religion and our own effort to get to God. The kingdom came down to us, and our pursuit of God looks like worship. We worship not to get closer to Jesus. We worship to acknowledge that Jesus came down to be close to us. Worship is a response to the finished work of God. And if you missed Heart of Worship last Sunday, I highly encourage you to check that one out. But I'm trying to live in the gospel of Matthew every single week during this series because Matthew is all about the kingdom of God. And amazingly, I had this passage picked out that I knew God wanted me to preach on for this Sunday, and I was totally unaware that we were going to be dedicating eight children to the Lord. And when you read the passage that we're going to be looking at today, you're going to see, wow, this could not have fallen into place better. If you have your Bible, hold it up all over this room. Hold it up. Hold it up. Bible drill. For the first time in history, the late service has more Bibles than the early service. This is awesome. You want to know what else is awesome is how many of you have been coming here for years, and you know I'm going to do this, and you still don't bring your Bible. If I don't, I admire your stubbornness. Can you open your, oh, open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 18. If you didn't bring your Bible, you're fine. We're going to have it on the screen. Some of the people that don't bring their Bibles is because they're holding so many other things, like children, when they come into church. My wife's always like, you always shame people who don't bring their Bibles, and your wife doesn't bring her Bible because I'm holding your kids. So I get it. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to flip over to Matthew 19. These verses kind of run hand in hand. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. If you are there, say, I'm there. Here we go. At that time, 
the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. We're going to camp out in those verses in just one second. But if you're there, go over to Matthew chapter 19. And then I want you to look at verse 13. It says this. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. It is with those verses as a foundation that I want to preach to you part two of our King of Kings series, and it's going to be titled Childlike Faith. Childlike Faith. Can you look at somebody next to you and say childlike faith? Childlike faith. In both of these instances, Jesus is revealing that the simple dependency of a child is an incredibly vital necessity for participating in the kingdom of God. Not just a necessity, but something that is required for passage in. And I want to talk to you about the value of children today. And like I said, I was already planning on preaching this, already had this set aside. And then this week, it was like, well, we're, we're dedicating eight children. I don't know how I missed that on my calendar. But I feel like God has something. And it's a very, very, very simple message. And it is definitely a Christmas message. For me, the best part about Christmas every year is childlike wonder. And to be honest with you, since I was a kid, there's been something missing from Christmas ever since I hit about 12, 13, 14 years old. Do you remember how old you were when you became too cool for Christmas? It's how old you were when you became too cool for everything. Too cool for your parents, too cool to smile, too cool. This is the stage of life that I'm the most nervous about in my kids as a father, especially as a father of girls. Because 12 to 15, from what I've heard... This is just what I've heard. I'm not speaking this over you and your family, but what I've heard, massive difficulty. And I remember in my own life, like when Christmas was like the most magical, wonderful time of the year every year to when I was just hands in my pockets, Abercrombie shirt, faded silver chain that became, you know, as I, as I kind of shifted my style a little bit, it became that white shell necklace. Anybody remember these? And uh, it was like, I'm shifting, I'm, I'm, I'm going more beachy with my style. And, uh, and I was just angry at everybody. And, and this, is, this is adolescence for a lot of people. And it's sad when that childlike wonder turns to adolescent anger. And so I've been like missing something about the magic of Christmas ever since then. And now that I have two daughters. One of them is about to turn three next month, and the other one turns one tomorrow. Crazy how fast this goes. We have, we've recaptured a level of childlike faith and wonder that I feel like I'm so qualified in this moment to preach this message. But from the beginning, I want to delineate between childlike faith and childish foolishness. Jesus is 
in no way amplifying childish foolishness in the kingdom of God. What he's doing is trying to capture the simple dependency of a child. And I get a little bit of both in my house all the time. And we had a moment yesterday where childlike faith shifted into childish foolishness. And it was the moment where my oldest daughter decided to ask for a puppy for Christmas. Now, many of you don't know me well. You don't know my story. You don't know the test and my money. But I, I don't love, I don't love pets. I'm allergic to cats. I believe that the devil had a hand in their creation, and I don't have theological basis for that. I just have personal experience. Not a cat guy. If you are, we'll pray for you. We'll have the elders come around you, put oil on you. The elders are not allowed to have cats. Um, they might. I hope not. But I, and this is the one that's not politically correct or popular, but I don't like dogs. This is rooted in fear. I'll admit it. There was an incident when I was young. I don't like to talk about it. But more so that they're disgusting and expensive. That, um, that makes I know. And you know what's funny is that the Auburn Vet School keeps inviting me to preach to their students. <laughs> and I'm like, I am the last person that needs to be in front of you. But okay, I'll tell you about Jesus. So the, like Aniston wanting a puppy, this isn't like someone in a typical family who's like, hey, Daddy, I want a puppy. This is the most anti pet father you can possibly have. Like, there's zero chance. And some of you think, like, oh, we'll see what happens when you get older. Oh, no, you'll, you'll see how unyielding I can be because it's never going to happen. But we got in a discussion yesterday where I'm trying to explain to her that she already has puppies. They just belong to other people, funded by other people. And so I want you to watch this conversation that unfolded yesterday in our kitchen. Can you throw that video on the screen? You have lots of dogs. They just don't live here. No, I want a dog for Christmas. No, ma'am. Yes! No, ma'am. Yes! Ever! Never, ever. No, I want a doggy. We have problems at the Fidel house. And I know some of you are like judging. You're like, well, you let your daughter talk to you that way? We're very tired. And we are, we are working toward those issues on the inside of her. But I love, I love that she goes, I want a doggy. And she goes, no, ever. I'm like, ever? Like, what, what is it that you're saying? I show that to you today because I'm going to be talking about my daughters a lot in this sermon. It is the most simple context that I feel like God has given me to read into what Jesus is highlighting in Matthew 18 and 19. But I want to quickly delineate childish foolishness, aka that video, from what Jesus is talking about, childlike faith. See, I believe no matter how much we mature in our faith, spiritual maturity can never replace simple dependency. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual maturity can never be a replacement for simple dependency. You and I are called to mature spiritually. When you start a relationship with Jesus, you never stay where you start. God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. It's always come as you are, but it's never stay as you are. 
You're sanctified. What does that mean? It means you grow in your understanding of God. You grow in how you reflect the nature of Jesus to a lost, dark, and broken world. You learn more about who he is. You study the Bible. You dive into theology. You learn new things about God that don't make you less loving toward people. They make you more loving toward people and go deeper in worship. So we talked about last week. So I believe in maturing spiritually, but you are never, ever, ever called to mature out of the simple dependency of believing God because he's your dad. I'm talking about this simple act on a daily basis of letting God be in charge of what God's in charge of and you living in the world that he has created and prepared for you. Now, it's interesting because these verses that we read are commonly used to highlight humility but as I look deeper into this, and, and, and I'm, I'm open for dialogue, not in this moment. In this moment, it's just my opinion that's going out. But I'm, I'm open to being corrected about this. I don't think Jesus is highlighting the humility of a child here. Because children are not humble at all. They don't tend to do something and give credit to another. Uh, they don't tend to naturally go second and let someone else go first. They don't tend to naturally share, which we're working on. Um, I, I don't think this is about like a humility in a sense that, oh, children always stand back. No, this is a humility that Jesus is highlighting in simplistic dependent terms. It's about the fact that children live in the world that has already been prepared for them without asking questions about matters that are outside the realm of their understanding. That type of humility. So let me, let me put these verses back on the screen just so I can highlight this for you. Can we put Matthew 18 back up there? Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's interesting because the disciples didn't ask Jesus what do we have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Did you notice that? They asked Jesus, who's the greatest? So what, what they wanted was a ranking system in heaven. And they wanted to go, hey, how do we end up like top five in, the, in whatever world it's going to look like for heaven to exist eternally? Like we want to make sure that we've got the, the best house and the best seat at the table. How do we make sure we're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus flips it upside down just like he does every time he talks about the kingdom of God and says, oh, oh, if you don't become like a child and change you're not getting in. So Jesus is starting at bare minimum going, oh, you want to talk about ranking in the kingdom? You can't get into the kingdom unless you become like a child. I think what Jesus is saying to them is that their question is a bad question. Sometimes the way Jesus answers a question reveals that the question shouldn't have ever been asked in the first place. Like when the teacher of the law asked Jesus what he must do to justify himself, like because he wanted to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's trying to show him, your question's a bad question. You shouldn't be asking, trying to justify yourself based on the bare minimum requirements of love. You should be asking yourself how you can love anybody and everybody around you, the person who looks like you and talks like you and is the same color as you or the person who lives the furthest away from you and has the most uncommon things in the world. Jesus' answer revealed, question, bad. And right here, I think what Jesus is doing is he's going, hey, what you're thinking about, you should actually not even be concerned about. 
Now, here's where I want that to meet us today. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. I believe the more we mature in our relationship with God, the more we have a tendency to add a growing list of concerns that actually shouldn't even exist. When you live with childlike faith and wonder, you live with the basic understanding every day that you are a child who lives in his or her father's kingdom, which means there are things prepared for you on a daily basis that you're supposed to step into and participate in, but there's also things that you're not even intended to dwell on or worry about or consider to be your own problem. I'll give you an example. This is what childlike faith is. How strange would it be if suddenly my three-year-old, soon-to-be three-year-old daughter, Aniston, was concerned about things that she could do nothing about that were totally my responsibility? Like every day, she wakes up and experiences her day on the basis of what me and her mom, mostly her mom, have prepared for her to do and eat and talk about. And she wakes up in the morning, and it is basically a, hey, whatever they have in mind, that's where I'm going, and that's what I'm doing today. And I'm living my life within the boundaries of what's been created for me. How weird would it be if one morning I went in to get my daughter, Aniston, and for some reason, this is her morning routine, she, we open the door and she yells, surprise! And it's like a surprise party every day. We're like, this happens daily, but okay, we'll go with it. What if suddenly I went in there and, and, and she's like having a full-blown anxiety attack? And she's like, I just don't understand. Like, like, what do we have planned for today? Because we were in school last week, but now it's like we're not, you don't seem, I don't see my outfit laid out. Like, is, is school out? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really, there's not a lot of rhythm to my daily life right now. I just don't know what to expect. And, and I don't really know what's going on. And then we take her downstairs and I'm, I'm, I'm making her breakfast. And she's like, Dad, how do, how do I know we're going to have enough money for us to eat next month? How much do you make? And she's like, and, and she starts freaking out about all this stuff. We got water running. And she's like, we've been using a lot of water lately. Like, well, I take a bath every night. Do we have money to purchase this water that just seems to be flowing, unending? It, it sounds weird. And you're like, that would never happen. That's totally out of order. But that's most of your relationships with God today. You constantly being worried and freaking out about things that God doesn't even really want to engage a conversation with you about because not only do you not need to be dwelling on those things, even if you did dwell on them and worked on them, you have no power to do anything to change them. So if I actually engaged that type of weird conversation with Aniston, it would be like, Aniston, like, if we were running out of money, what would you be able to do to contribute anything toward that end? And if the water did run out or suddenly the schedule did change, like you are three years old. When we talk about childlike faith, Jesus is talking about a person who walks in the kingdom of God never loses the basic awe and wonder that they exist in a world around them that is prepared and created and managed and controlled by their sovereign father. And there are things that are up to him. This is how you live a life free of anxiety and free from worry. It's amazing. Dad does what dad does. And I do what I do. 
and how he does all those things and when he will do all of those things and what he has prepared, he is the one who's holding that story. But it is my job to exist in the limitations that God has prepared for me. God never called you as his child to grow your list of concerns the more you mature spiritually. And I've just seen this as I've followed Jesus for, gosh, almost 18 years now. The more I come to know about Jesus, the more that gets added to my list of things that I'm afraid of, of things I need an explanation over, of things that I just constantly am bombarded with the slavery of worry and fear. And I want you to know today that if you're waiting for your heavenly father to engage you on a lot of these things, the freedom that's going to come your way is not from an explanation about your bullet point list. The freedom is going to come when you burn up the bullet point list and go, I don't need to be worried about this anyway. It's yours to take. It's yours to manage. That's why Jesus, in one of the most famous sermons ever preached, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. You don't got to turn there. I want to read it over you. He says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? I love this. Jesus is like, you're two, three, four, five years old in the equation of all of this. He's talking about a little thing. How many of you can add one hour to your life by overthinking? You're small, and you need to find rest there. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? The more you grow your list of concerns in things that you shouldn't be worried about, the more your faith diminishes. That's why it's called childlike faith. Jesus goes, your faith gets small when your list gets large. Keep following. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid little flock. I love that. Jesus knows how helpless we are. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We're in a series right now called King of Kings. That's because kingdom language is what sets us free from fear and anxiety and carrying things that we don't need to carry. Seek first what? His kingdom and everything else will be added to you. How can I know that? Because your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. I think of all the verses I could show you in the Bible this morning, this one gets me the most excited. Y'all look up here if you're missing this. Jesus just said that what makes his father happy is giving his children everything the kingdom of God has to offer. When you talk about the kingdom of God, I think there's a little bit of a lack of understanding of what that is. That's wherever Jesus is king and whatever Jesus is about. So if your heavenly father enjoys giving you the kingdom, that means he literally can't wait for the day where you are walking in the fullness of peace and freedom and life and purpose and free from tears of pain and totally walking in the intended purpose for which you were made. God not only thinks about that and purposes for it, but delights in it. 
Your father in heaven, what makes him happy? Giving me everything. Every good and perfect gift is from above that comes down from the father of heavenly lights. God loves to give good gifts to his children. What is Jesus trying to do here? He's trying to point out that everything that's on your list that constantly holds you captive in your mind and heart to worrying and always being concerned about things you don't need to be concerned about. It's not that God wants to engage you on that list. It's that God wants you to surrender that list in light of his fatherly character. You will never experience this peace until you learn the meaning of the word father. If God is a relational heavenly father, how do I know his heart is for me? He bankrupted heaven on Christmas. When we talk about Jesus is the greatest gift ever given, do you know that 2,000 years ago when the king of kings was laying his head in a manger, which I'm sorry we've romanticized, it's not like a cool, comfy, tempur wooden thing. <laughs> it's a feeding trough for animals. Humbled himself, only to live a perfect life and end up on a Roman cross, bleeding out and dying. He goes from humility to more humility and humiliation. Why? because he's the name above all names, the king of kings. But what was that gift communicating to us? It was communicating that when heaven speaks, it is speaking about a father who is pursuing you, who loves you, and who wants to set you free from everything that's taking you captive on the inside right now. And that's not to say today that God is just an end-all, be-all from pain and he's a father who just wants to gift his kids so they can have everything they ever wanted and enjoy a pleasurable, nice life. No, life is hard. And Jesus coming down from heaven was not the end-all, be-all of, of any type of suffering. It was the presence of God in the midst of suffering because the kingdom of God is an invasion against the kingdom of darkness. So as I'm preparing this message and as I'm getting ready to preach it, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, we just, we just don't need to worry about anything. Like if God's a heavenly father who gives good gifts to his kids, like we, we just need to stop freaking out and exist in the world that he's given us. But here's what I know. Anyone who thinks deeply about this knows that Jesus can say all he wants to say that we have nothing to worry about, but we have the news. There is plenty to worry about. In fact, his audience 2,000 years ago had more to worry about than we do. They're surrounded by oppression. A Roman cross was not like this rare thing that just Jesus died on. It was a common way that they made a statement to their people. We control you. We own you. Like literally civilization surrounded by, if you defy this empire, that's where you end up. Suffering everywhere. And Jesus is like, what are you guys freaking out about? Your father knows what you need before you ask. Like, you're good. Like, stop, stop growing your concerns. If I'm in the audience, I'm like, I'll tell you what we're freaking out about. Do you see this world around us? And if I could just push the real, super authentic conversation for a second, I wrestled with these verses about how much God loves kids and how much children can teach us about the kingdom of God. Because yesterday marked seven years since Sandy Hook happened. And I looked at a picture yesterday of every single child that was shot in that school. And Comparatively speaking, compared to all that we've seen in the last seven years, that's a small tragedy that most of us forgot about and haven't thought about all of 2019. 
And you know I could go on and on with a list of things. If we're just focusing on children alone, how many things has God allowed over the course of the last decade where children have been exploited, killed, or starved to death in this world? On his watch. He's sovereign. He's in total control. So there's a part of me that wants to do the nice, God's a good heavenly father, stop worrying. But then there's a part of me who has two little girls who's like, there's a lot that could happen in my family and in my life and in my future that I should be worried about. Can we, can we talk to God in, with real talk and go, God, you allow stuff to happen on this planet all the time that doesn't look like peace and doesn't look like comfort and doesn't look like what you seem like you're promising in the scriptures. So what do you do with pain? And what do you do with stuff that really could happen to you and your family? And I want you to know this. This is why Christmas is so powerful. Because when Jesus was sent down from heaven, it was an invasion of light into darkness. You do understand that God was not entering into a neutral world to provide some solutions to a few problems. God was entering into a broken world marked by one thing, darkness. Do you know two things that can never coexist? Darkness and light. One wins either way. So when Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God, he ushers in an invasion where now light is pushing back the darkness. 2,000 years later, after Jesus has finished the battle, do you know what era of redemptive history we're living in? We're living in an era where darkness and light are head-to-head every single day. Not just out there in the world, but in here, in our hearts. We can feel it. We can sense it. And do you know what's happening? Jesus is winning. And it's ugly, and it's not easy, and it hurts, and you got to cry, and you got to struggle. But you can find peace. Why? Because you got a father who already sent his son to win the battle. And light is overcoming darkness. And you know, do you know the promise of God? I love this. In the midst of this era where light and darkness are constantly in competition and running against each other, do you know the promise of Christmas? It's this. God didn't send his son down to make all your problems and pain go away. God sent his son down to join you in your problems and pain. He's with you. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And that's why he was born in a manger. And that's why his life was hard. And that's why he was murdered. Because we look into heaven and he's not saying, hey, it'll be over soon. Hang in there. He's saying, yeah, I know. I get it. It's hard. I'm with you in it. I'm right here. I felt it. And so how do you... How do you find peace in a world that's constantly bombarded by worry and things to legitimately be anxious about? You accept that even if the worst happens, God is still your dad and he'll meet you there and you have nothing to be afraid of. That at a very minimum, he's going to meet you there. Childlike faith is not ignorant faith. It's not childish. It's just acknowledging I exist in a world where I have very little control So I'm going to delight in the fatherhood of my maker and trust that he is for my good and his glory. And I'm I'm not going to be here long. He wins the battle. And we live with an eternal mindset. Amen? Amen. I got two points for you before we leave. Somebody say childlike faith. Here's what I want you to do with this message. Number one, I want you to rest in the fatherhood of God. Rest 
in the fatherhood of God. When I talk about God as a relational heavenly father, it's going to be very hard for you to experience him that way if you don't talk to him. This is the most frustrating part about what I do because I work so hard to try to create something from the word of God in the way that I articulate it that makes you experience all that's true about the Bible. Matt and his team, they try so hard to sing songs from up here that's actually going to create an environment where you can meet with the living God. We work really hard to do it. Here's the problem, though. You'll never experience God as a heavenly father if you actually never do the work of saying words out loud to him. And you have to do this because you have a dad and you have an experience with a father in this world that looks in a very limited way like what your relationship with your heavenly father looks like. And we have varying levels of healing that need to happen depending on what family we're from. I'm not bashing on dads. I'm just an imperfect dad who knows what's true about me. We all have work to do when it comes to translating God as father when we consider what our earthly fathers have been like. What you need to understand about God is that he wants to give you peace relationally. He wants you to feel the weight fall off your shoulders as the words come out of your mouth and get turned over to him. Cast all your anxiety on him because what? He cares for you. Meaning, you're not going to feel the freedom from your anxiety if you don't accept the fact that God cares for you and is your dad and father. When Jesus made the amazing promise, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to heaven except through me, he didn't say that. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. For Jesus, heaven on earth was understanding that God is your dad and delighting in that peace. So how do I rest in the fatherhood of God? Talk to God like he is the father that he is. It's crazy. When I get, when I get close to him and I actually start believing this in my mind, I'm like, Dad... You're, you're like God over everything, but you care about me as your child. So here's what's weighing down heavily on me. And here's what I want to turn over to you. And you feel this sense of release and peace in that relationship where what you were dwelling on that God called you not to dwell on now, actually peace is accessible, but it happens when things are turned over to God to be your dad. Think about me and my daughters. They exist in a very simple world. They do what they do every day, and it's happening on a very small level. Like, I know Aniston cares so much about her toys. Elliot loves Christmas trees. It's a really cool life, an interesting life. But what I'm doing, it's a very different level of going out and, and living life on mission and providing for our family. There's different things happening. I'm just here to tell you, you and God, bigger gap. I know what you're carrying is so important and so hard and so uncertain but I'm telling you, it's laughable in his sight what you are freaking out about today. And it's not that he wants to belittle you. It's that he wants to comfort you. Child, what, what did Jesus call you? Little flock, come here. The reason why you don't have rest is that you don't actually do the simple act of coming. Like you, you have to pray. You have to read the Bible. Gosh, this is so hard. Like we, can't, we cannot mature spiritually if we don't talk to God and let him talk to us. And no matter how complicated the truth gets that I preach from this stage, if you guys don't go out and do that, we're stuck. <laughs> You're 
still gonna be enslaved to your anxiety. You're still gonna be freaking out and afraid and you're still gonna be coming here thinking I have the answers because I talk fast and loud. I'm telling you, you have to pray and you have to open the Bible every day. And I'm telling you, what's the byproduct of that rest? When God's your dad, you can sleep deeply. Because you want to know why he doesn't sleep. He's like, while you're laying dead in your bed for eight hours because you have to, literally, physically, I'm still running the universe. Your life will be okay. Don't you want to draw close relationally to that God? Let's make this Christmas about resting in the fatherhood of God. Somebody say childlike faith. Number two, sacrifice for the childhood of church. This one's kind of going to come out of nowhere, but I'm going to bring it home really close to home. Jesus has a very serious commitment to children marking the kingdom of God. And the local church is the kingdom of God spreading all over the world to let the world know about the glory of the one who made everything. Look at what Jesus said. We talked about these verses earlier. People brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. 2,000 years ago, children had very, very, very little value. You see it. They're bringing kids to Jesus, and the disciples are like, he doesn't have time for kids. He's on a mission to save the world. And they thought, deliver us from the Romans. You think he's got time for Johnny over there? No, move. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Kingdom of heaven is theirs. In the heart of a child is the key to understanding the basic truths of what it means to participate in the kingdom of God. And so point number two is for us as a church. We cannot be a church that ministers to the next generation as a background thing to what we are doing as a church. It has to stay the main thing. And it probably will remain a sacrifice. We've added a lot of families to our church over the course of five years, but we've added families who are rooted in a lot of traditions that makes a Sunday experience here quite uncomfortable, if I could be honest. Some of you come to this church and the way we worship freaks you out. Some of you come here and every word that's coming out of my mouth, you're worried about the next offensive thing I might say because I'm 31 and learning how to do this on the spot. There's a lot of things about participating in this church. I get it. It's a sacrifice. I get it. It's hard. But one of the things that makes that sacrifice so worth it is that we exist to make sure the next generation is raised up to step into their role in the kingdom of God in a way that you and I couldn't even dream of in our day. And you know, we talk a lot about the religiosity of Auburn and all that we stand against. Do you wanna know something I wanna say about this area of the Bible Belt and specifically this town that we get to do church in? We stand on the shoulders of generations of prayer over this community that have happened. There are parents and grandparents who prayed for this move of God to stand in this city at this time. And so all we're doing is standing on the shoulders of the people before us. But watch this. Our kids are going to stand on ours. So what are we sacrificing to make sure that they grow up in a world where they can reach to heights we could never even imagine being possible? We're getting our, our Christmas card done like a month ago, which is so not fun when your kids are little. And 
we got our pictures back and there's this one picture that stood out the most to me of every picture. Our amazing photographer, Natalie Norman, took this. And, and I want to show this to you just to illustrate this point. Aniston reaching for something that she could, and she was probably just enamored with a leaf. I get it. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this moment. But what I love about this picture is it's a picture of the future of ACC. We've seen God do an amazing work at Auburn University. College students giving their life to Jesus, and leveraging their lives for what matters most. And we love sending them out. But we felt an increasing burden to be about families here. And so I keep, I keep getting this question, why build a building? Why Hamilton Road? Why that spot? Anybody from Auburn knows this, but if you're not from Auburn, if you've ever been by that land, drive in all four directions from where that land is. What do you see? Neighborhoods, families that could very easily waste their lives on something other than the glory and renown of Jesus. And so we're going to be calling you. Let's be a church that sacrifices to make this a home for the next generation to grow up. You want to know what they're going to grow up believing is normal? College students that are radically set on fire for the glory of God. Do you want to know what else they're going to grow up believing is normal? 60-year-olds who don't cash it in to go live somewhere else where they can rest for the next 20 years, but 60 and 70 and 80 years old who are living their days on planet Earth for what matters most. They're going to go, that's normal? That's what Christians do? Yes. And so they're going to be able to reach heights that you and I have no business even praying about. What this community will look like 50 years from now, where we are right now, they will be laughing about the impossible dreams that we have. But we gotta be the ones to sacrifice. And we gotta be the ones who say, you know what, the value of the heart of a child is always going to be at the center of who we are. How do we do that? We live with childlike faith ourselves. So would you stand up all over this room? I want to invite you into a moment to worship God as a father. We're going to sing good, good father, of course. <laughs> but this is such an opportunity for you to rest. I want you to take everything on your list of concerns that you would bring before God today. And I just want his fatherhood to cover you. And maybe in this moment, you think about your own relationship with your dad and you let God heal some spaces that you haven't let him into. Maybe for others of you, it looks like dreaming about your future children and the legacy that you wanna pass down. I don't know what it looks like for you in your particular season, but I know this message is for this room on this day. Would you close your eyes? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would cover this room with the peace that comes from knowing you are our Heavenly Father. God, we don't want to be a church that matures out of simple dependency. We want to declare our need for you today and tomorrow and forever. So God, come and father us in these moments. Come and meet us in this space, God. I pray for the healing that needs to take place, that, that really no one could speak out loud, that your spirit would go to places that are deeper than words. And God, as we sing, that you would set us up to be a church that never, ever, ever outgrows simple, childlike faith. We love you and we sing to you today in Jesus' name.